soon, I guess. But <laughs> at any rate, uh, he'll be able to speak to us and encourage us in the Lord. And appreciate your faithfulness in the support of your church. That is vitally important for our, our, our church overall, the ministry that we have here. Let's go to our Savior in prayer. Father, I thank you for the privilege of gathering with our brothers and sisters tonight. I pray also for Brother Todd that and willing to come and share your word with us. I pray that your spirit would move upon his heart as he shares your word this evening and upon our hearts, Lord, as we receive it. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn number 87. Would you stand as we sing? My Lord is near me all the time. If you... Hymn number 87. In the lightning across the sky, he mighty power I see. And I know if he can reign on high, his love can shine on me. I've seen it in the lightning, put it in the thunder, and felt it in the rain. My Lord is near me all the time. My Lord is near me all the time. When the thunder shakes on mighty hills and trembles every tree, then I know God so great and strong and surely harbor me. I heard it in the lightning, heard it in the thunder, and felt it in the rain. My Lord is near me all the time. My Lord is near me all the time. When refreshing showers cool the earth and sweep across the sea, then his rainbow shines within my heart, his nearness comforts me. I've seen it in the lightning, heard it in the thunder, and felt it in the rain. My Lord is near me all the time. My Lord is near me all the time. You may be seated. Hymn number 93. I sang this once, so you all better sing louder than me if I put this mic down. His eye is on the sparrow. Hymn number 93. 93. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. 
His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, so I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender words I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when song gives place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Good job. for those who are away, help them to have a safe trip as they come home tonight. Father, thank you for the one who's come to lead us tonight in the service. Pray that you might bless him. We thank you for the church, and we pray especially that you might someday soon give us a great revival, that other people would come to know you as their personal Savior. 
We pray that you forgive us of our sins of commission and omission. Amen. Amen. Since I met my blessed Savior, since he left and claimed me whole, I will never cease to praise him, and doubt it while eternity rolls. He touched me, oh, he touched me, and all oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me, oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and I know he touched me and made our speaker, Brother Todd Burris. Brother, Brother Todd, it's rather unique how we came to meet each other. Our second grandson, Drew Stakelin, and Todd's sister were married and have two wonderful, for us, little great-great-great-grandchildren. So, Todd, you come and share the word of God with us. Todd has uh, Todd has a tremendous background in preparation for ministry. He left a lucrative job to follow the call of the Lord to proclaim His word, and he's been serving here in our area and has a free time. And so, Brother Todd, share God's word with us. <clears throat> Good evening. My message this evening is going to be coming from the book of Psalms, chapter 13, so if you want to go ahead and be turning there, I will be reading from the English Standard Version on this evening. As Pastor Hurd said, uh, my name is...
Paris. I have served as a North American Mission Board missionary in, in Boston, uh, where we wound up uh, doing a revitalization of a nearly 400-year-old congregation up there. I've also served as a pastor in revitalization in Louisville, and also here uh, most recently in Lexington. Uh, I also wear a couple of other hats. I, I'm a father. Uh, as you might have seen from some of the pictures Daniel was disseminating, I have been involved in boxing and a couple of other sports. Uh, but my vocation that I, I use that has allowed me to take some chances in ministry is actually what my vocation was, or at least my first uh, attempt at a vocation, I, I didn't pursue it as far as I could have, uh, is being a college educator. Uh, I currently am on faculty at the university or at Eastern Kentucky University. I'm a mathematics and statistics professor, and I've been doing that since I was about 20 years old. Um, it is a, a very interesting job, and, and I wind up getting a lot of practice and training for ministry there. Uh, one of the things that really caught me off guard at the beginning was um, the way my students would respond to me. I wanted to always be kind of that, that cool professor. And as a math professor could be cool, I wanted to be the cool professor who was relatable, the one who they could understand, the one who knew that they weren't super excited to be in my math class, and yet knew that I wanted them to be successful so they could go on to the other courses that, that they really were in college desiring to do. And so I, I was able to have success with my students. They liked me. But one of consequences that I never foresaw from that was uh, something that happened in my first couple years of teaching has happened several times since. A couple years into teaching, I was teaching at a small college down in Florida, and uh, I wrapped up class and a student stayed after, and, and that happens frequently. Students want a little more explanation of something we went over that day. They're, they're curious to, to kind of delve further into a topic or make sure they've heard all the assignments that are, are due in a, in a given period. But this was different. Uh, the student came up to me, and he was a, a young Indian-American man, and he said, hi, Professor Burris. I, I know you uh, don't really know me. I don't really know you all that well. But I've heard you talking, and I, I've seen the things that you say. I, I've, I've been in this class, and I feel like I, I just need to share something. And he went on to tell me um, that him and his girlfriend had been sleeping together for a while. She, unknown to him, had become pregnant and gone and had an abortion. Found out about it after the fact. And he, he said, you know, I just, I'm really tore up right now, and I don't know what to do, and I, I don't know who to turn to, and, and I just wanted to come to you and, and, and just talk to you and see if you could pray for me. And, and so we did, and, and we, we went through that, and I shared some thoughts from Scripture and advice for him and prayed with him. But one of the things that he said really stuck with me. I was I didn't know who to go to. This is a young college student, and I don't know how many of you guys have been in college, but you've been in school settings. There's people everywhere. A small school by any imagination. I'm sure he had friends. He has parents. has people maybe that he works with. And he didn't know who to go to. And he came to me, just a, a stranger, someone who had had him a handful of times in, in a math class, 50 minutes at most, right? A, a couple of days a week. Never had any personal conversations with me, but came to me. And I realized this. I realized that no matter how many people he had around him, this boy felt lonely. He felt like there was no one there who understood him. There was no one who he could share his struggles with because they, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't know or, or maybe wouldn't care, and, and it wouldn't help alleviate that pain that he was feeling. And from that, 
I started seeing that more and more, and students would come to me more and more with those sorts of things, and, and I kind of developed this thesis that has really stuck with me throughout my ministry, and that is that, that most, if not all people, are fundamentally So if you'll look with me at Psalm 13, this is a Psalm of David. We don't know exactly when it took place, but here's what he says. Psalm 13 says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So as I said, this thesis that I'm working off of and that I think we will see as we go through this message today is that People are, are fundamentally lonely. Now, I think one of the first things we must do is we must clarify, what is loneliness? You see, lonely is very much like another word, alone. But they're, they're very different ideas. Loneliness and being alone are not the same. Being alone means that someone is actually physically isolated from others. There's this television show I like. It's called Alone. And uh, what they do is they take these survivalists and they put this, them in these exotic locations. Currently, they're in Mongolia. And, and, and what they do is each person gets put in this tract of land where there's no one else for, for many square miles. They're given a, a handful of supplies, and they're told to survive as long as they can, alone, physically isolated from others. Now, that's not necessarily the same thing as lonely. These, these people do get lonely. It goes a long time. They stay out there for 50, 60 days. And, but, but the lonely doesn't necessarily come from being alone. See, loneliness is the pain and sadness that's associated with feeling alone, even if you're not, right? Even without actual isolation from others. Clinically, loneliness is defined as a distressing feeling that accompanies the perception that one's social needs are not being met by the quantity, or especially the quality, of one's relationships. So it's pain, it's, it's distress, and it has nothing to do with whether there are a hundred people around you, a thousand people, or nobody. You could be lonely in a crowd. And I, I imagine no matter where David was, when this psalm was composed, he was not alone. People think this is either when he's being persecuted by Saul, or when he's running from Absalom, either one of those times there were more than likely people with him, in and out, trying to protect him, traveling with him. And yet David says in the psalm, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? He is distraught. He is in pain. 
He is lonely. And the reality is that, that Americans, people today, we are very lonely. Now, I already told you I'm a, a mathematician, a statistician, and I know that statistics like the one I'm about to read you, these are, are low numbers because people don't often like to admit things that are negative. And yet here's a recent report by the health insurer Cigna. They say that 46% of Americans report feeling lonely on a regular basis. 46% on a regular basis. That means like three to four days a week. And this number increases the younger the respondents were. So, you know, what that means, you're not a numbers person like me, that means if you're one of those lucky people in this room who doesn't feel lonely three to four times a week, look to your left and right. One of those people does. And especially, or more likely, if they're about my age. Okay? About 50% of the population feels lonely on a regular basis. And why are people so lonely? We live in a city that has a, a metropolitan population of about 375,000 people. Nobody is really physically isolated in Lexington. And yet, we feel lonely. And there are many reasons for this, but I'll tell you that, that I think that our loneliness can be tracked back to one thing, and that loneliness exists because of sin. And, and the reason I say this, and the reason I believe this, is because I believe there's one verse in the Bible that really sums up the sorrow of the human experience for us. If you want to turn with me, turn with me to, to Genesis 3. So we go to Genesis 3, and, and those of you who are familiar with that beginning story of Genesis know that in Genesis 3, that's where we see sin enter the picture. In Genesis 2, God told Adam, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from that, and the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And then here we go in Genesis 3, we have this account of Adam and Eve in the garden, and the serpent comes and tempts them. And in Genesis 3, verse Six, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, that's not the verse that I want you to see. That's the verse that leads up to it because if you stop right there, you might say, okay, what's the next thing? Well, God told them, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So it seems like verse seven should be, and Adam and Eve died, because that's what God told them what would happen. And they ate of the fruit of the tree, they should die. Or if nothing else, God should come in and say, what are you doing? I told you not to do that, right? I'm a parent. That's what I do when I see my daughter. I've got this little girl, Sophia. And, and we were in a public restroom the other day, and, and I said, don't touch anything. And as soon as, as soon as she got done and got herself all back together, she reached out and flushed the toilet. And I said, what are you doing? I told you not to do that. But that's not what we see here. Genesis 3, 7 says this, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, that's kind of weird. They sinned, they broke it, and the very next thing that we see after they sinned is that their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. You see, up to this point, Adam and Eve had been running around in the garden naming animals, harvesting fruit and vegetables, doing the, the things that they were supposed to be doing, naked, completely naked. And it's in this moment that they realize that, 
But naked became a thing, and more than that, it became a thing that they were ashamed of. And it's in that moment that they realized there was something that they wanted to hide from others. And throughout history, that's what we've been doing. We've been hiding stuff from others. And so that hiding, and it's that feeling like there's, there's things that I can't show other people. It's from that that loneliness draws forth. We're hiding things. There are things that people won't understand. There's things they won't get. And we become lonely. And so what does loneliness do? Right? That is loneliness. Loneliness is the distress from feeling alone, even if you aren't. Right? It's the distress from feeling like there's other people who can't meet your needs, who can't understand you. And so what does loneliness do? Well, we hear that in David's words. Back in Psalm 13, verse 3, it says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. He's been driven to despair. He's sitting here, he says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He feels like he is so lonely. He feels like he is, he is so just outcast, drawn away from everybody, that he could die from it. Right? It's, it's, it's tearing up his mental state. He's in a bad place because he feels so lonely. And again, modern research has teased this out. It has shown us that this is a real thing. Loneliness has been associated with personality disorders and psychosis, suicide, impaired cognitive performance and cognitive decline over time. That means the longer you're lonely, the worse your mental state gets. Leads to an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. It leads to diminished executive control. That means you, you lose the ability to function, to, to control what you're doing, to make decisions. And also leads to an increase in depressive symptoms. Beyond that, loneliness is a contributing risk factor for addiction. Loneliness is not good. Right? It's not the way that God designed things to be. God wanted Adam and Eve to be naked and and for all of us to be with them and never realize we were naked and never realize there was anything we needed to hide from one another. But sin tore down that dream. And it's led to all of these things. In the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. And we do eventually die. And the things that lead to that death are stuff like this. In fact, the, the former U.S. Surgeon General, he said this, he said, loneliness and social isolation are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. This is the Surgeon General. And the Surgeon General, those are the ones who put the warning labels on everything, right? And they put warning labels on cigarettes that say, if you smoke cigarettes, you're risking your health. You could develop cancer, low birth weight, all these other things. They put labels Obesity, we, we now know in modern society that this is not good. I was at Buffalo Wings last night watching a UFC fight, and I was getting ready to order myself some, some hot wings, and I noticed right underneath of it, it told me that the number of hot wings I was about to get had between 80 to 1,200 calories in it, right? Because they're trying to put a label there to prevent me from ordering hot wings. It didn't work, right? We know things aren't good. Yet, what it tells us is that Loneliness is just as bad as things. Loneliness takes away years from your life just as much as habitual.
habitual smoking and habitual overweight and, and, and obesity. Focus on specifically. Because it's been in the news, and I think it's going to be increasingly in the news over the, the months and years, suicide. Now, we know in the last several weeks, there have been several celebrity suicides that have, have kind of broke the news and have got people talking. We see that, that in most of the state across our country, suicide rates have increased at 30% in the last couple of years. People are taking their lives at alarmingly high rates currently. And oftentimes we look at suicide and we say, these are people who have lost hope. They're staring down that road and they don't see anything. And they say, there's no reason for me to live. I might as well die. This world will be better off with them. And yet researchers are finding that, that loneliness, just as much as hopelessness, leads people to suicidal thoughts and suicidal attempts. People are killing themselves because they are fatally lonely. Because they go through this world and they feel like nobody gets them. Nobody cares that they are all alone. And, and those demons that are part of them are eating at them and tearing at them and drive them to despair, drive them to take their own lives. So this is one of the things that loneliness does. It drives us to despair. But the other thing it does is it creates this really bad cycle, this kind of downward spiral in which our loneliness separates us from God and from others. And the more it does that, the harder and harder it gets to get back out of it. See, on a spiritual level, the fear of loneliness, it leads people to compromise their character and their morals and their obedience to God. They're so desperate for relationships. They're so desperate to be understood and to be accepted that they do things that, that maybe they otherwise wouldn't do. They give their body away in ways that they wouldn't. They, they put things into their body that maybe they wouldn't. And this separates them, drives them further and further away from God. In Genesis 3.8, following the, the naked passage, Genesis 3.8 says this, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They knew they did something wrong, and it's God. We just realized, what's up with that? What happened? He said, oh, no. We shouldn't have done that. We need to hide. And so they counted that sin. And that's what we are, right? We do things, and, and, and it drives us further and further away from God, and, and lonelier. And then that drives us further and further away from God, and, and it, it's this cycle. And we do it on a personal level, too. That's kind of our, our vertical relationship with God, but we do it with other people. On, on the horizontal level, right? Because it leads us to avoid seeking help. Loneliness leads us to avoid seeking help from others because we say, they won't understand. They'll laugh at me. They'll lock me up. Judge me. Right? And so we get caught in these destructive patterns with no way out. And, and we're familiar with that from things like addiction. But it's as bad with just that loneliness, that everyday feeling of, I'm not understood. People don't get me. How many of you have ever said that to yourself? Ever said, I can't tell anyone about this. No one else has ever had these thoughts. It's just, right? These are, are the words of loneliness self-perpetuating. It's loneliness to more loneliness that leads to more loneliness. And we dig ourselves out of that pit. And just to, to go back to research, because like I said, I'm, I'm by, by 
a, a mathematician and a, and a statistician. I love research. And, and if modern society today, the presence of the internet is something that, that compounds this problem. People turn to the internet to address their loneliness. They start seeking friends and community. But that just drives them into further loneliness because they say, oh, I have this community, but this person in San Francisco and this person in Toronto and this person in Kalamazoo and, and, and I, I don't really know these people and they're not really there in that time of need and they get lonely so they start seeking because if I can only just amass more friends, if I can make more contact, then there'll be more people who can be there to help address this. We're all naked. We're all ashamed. And in an attempt to hide our nakedness, we just move further and further away from each other, which is what Adam and Eve did by sewing those loincloths, and from God. This is what loneliness does to us. This is pretty depressing. Right? We might have laughed a couple of times, but this is kind of depressing. This is a really bad situation we're in. It's a bad situation humanity has been in from the beginning. So what hope is there, right? We seem stuck in this endless cycle of loneliness. How do we get out of it? Well, that's part of the gospel message, right? That's part of the things that we learn about when we, we learn about Jesus and we learn about what he came to do. You see, Christ, when he died on the cross, he died for our sins, not just so that we could be in heaven, not just so that we could have these rewards. Christ died on the cross to reconcile us to reconcile us one with another, and to reconcile us with the Father. Our sin creates separation from God. That loneliness, that, that wedge that's driven between us is because of sin. And Jesus came to bring us back together. When he died on the cross, he made the sacrifice necessary to reconcile us to the Father. Paul says this in Colossians. He says, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. The sin that separated us in the garden and has continued to separate us throughout all of time has been atoned for in Christ. When we trust in him, one of the things that happens is we are reconciled to God and we no longer need to feel lonely. And why? Because God has promised that he is going to be with his people. When that wedge is removed and we are reconciled with him, we know that God is with us constantly, even when we can't feel it, because he has promised throughout his word to be with his people. Deuteronomy 31 says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will keep you. I will hold you, uphold you in my righteous right hand. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from love or money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, we have access to the Father through Christ. He died on the cross. He made that possible. He bridged that gap. He reconciled us so that we wouldn't need to feel lonely. And that's here in the vertical relationship with God, but he's also done it on earth among men and women, brothers and sisters. He's healed and reconciled those relationships. And the way he has done that 
is through his church. Right? The church is his instrument today for reconciling people with one another. See, not only does Jesus' sacrifice reconcile us with God, but it has given us this opportunity to join together with other people despite any worldly differences through that common fellowship and, and brotherhood and, and, and adopted sonship from our Father. And this is, this is what he says about the church in Ephesians 2. This is what Paul writes. Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us, meaning people, in this context, Jews and Gentiles, but in general, just people, who has made us, <coughs> has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both together in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So all these things that separate us make us feel like, I can't say that, I can't tell them that. They, they can't know this about me. They wouldn't understand. I'm all alone. He says, get back. Be one with these people the way we were meant to be in the garden. You know, I, I joked one time at the church I was at, and, and I don't know if they knew I was joking or what. I said, you know, we should really be a place where we just advertise, like, come be naked with us. You know, like in a garden where they say, you know, naked, and they were unashamed. And we want to be like that in the church. We want to be unashamed. Now, we would still wear clothes, but we would be unashamed be open and loving and, and caring with one another. And, and that leads me to the last part of my message because that's a challenge I want to give you. It's a challenge that I think all of our churches need. You know, I don't come in here knowing much about your body, but I know about churches in general and the way churches operate, and I know that, that oftentimes our churches don't operate in the way that God necessarily meant them to with regards to this idea of loneliness. You see, as the church, we're meant to be instruments of reconciliation in the world today, and the things that divide us and separate us as humans disappear here, but they don't always. And sometimes we, we continue to contribute to that loneliness. One of the things that happens in churches is, is we can walk we can kind of feel like we've got to have it all together. You know, we say, like, come as you are, just as I am. These other ones that talk about being able to come to the cross in whatever broken state you're in. But then there's oftentimes kind of this expectation that once you've been here long enough, you'll, you'll get it together. You'll, you'll look better, and, and things will be, you know, more holy. And you have problems. And, and what happens is we still struggle. You know, as Christians, every day of our life, we still struggle. And things happen, and, and sometimes our kids do something that we're not necessarily proud of. We don't want to share that because we've, we've got to show up and we've got to kind of put on this face and this lest others judge us. And that just should never be the way in the church. We should be okay being naked, fully exposed, our lives on display in front of the people there and they're going to love us because they've got the same stuff going on in their lives. Nobody has it all together. Paul says it himself. He says, he says not that I've been made whole, right, but this is just what I'm striving for. And if Paul didn't have it all together, I don't expect you to or myself to either. And when we can be honest about that, we can be real about the struggles and the things that, that, that harm us and, and, uh, and stand in our way every day from being what it is that God calls us to be, that can make a difference. People see that and they realize, okay, 
I want to open this. That's what that young man realized. He said, you know, I, I, different, the things you've said, I, I tell I can trust you with it. Because he, he'd heard me talk about people I knew in addiction. He heard me talk about my own struggles in the, that I had in my own life. And it felt safe to him. And our churches should be that way also. We should feel safe, and not just for the unbeliever. And sometimes we don't even feel safe for the not just for the unbeliever, but for the people who've been members for 20, 30 years. They should feel safe to come up and say, I'm struggling with this. This is difficult. This is hard. I need your help. I need your prayers. And, and when we have that openness and that humility and that one another, the loneliness will disappear. Also, as churches, sometimes we, we have a tendency to neglect the Christian character of hospitality and self-sacrifice. You know, one of the things the church got so right, and, and, and you just splattered all over the New Testament, is that they were opening their homes, and they were opening their their, their pockets. I mean, we read in Acts 5 about that, uh, that they were opening their lives to one another for the good of the whole body. I know that, you know, especially in the summer, sometimes we'll say, oh, it's it's summer. You know, as a pastor, that's one that always got me. It's kind of like we have this off season. You know, the, the, the church calendar revolves around the school calendar. And so, you know, we expect, oh, everyone's going to show back up mid-August. You know, pews will be packed again. We'll have a good until, you know, about Thanksgiving, and then people start getting worn out, and, and the church is the first thing to go, right? Fellowship, that time together. You know, I'm, I'm busy. I, I remember one of the most painful things to me and my history in, in ministry, and, and this was even before I went into the ministry, but just as a Christian, was we had this thriving college ministry. We were doing stuff together every night. That's where I met my wife. So many people wound up getting married out of that group. It was just, and it was, you know, 30 and 40 of us that were just always together doing, you know, great things for the Lord together. So many of those guys are in the ministry today. They're, they're missionaries all over the place. And yet, this kind of little bit of this is too much. I need time to study. I, I need this. And, and the first thing that went was, was that fellowship and that hospitality and that spending time together. And, and it didn't take any time at all before that fractured and crumbled and, and lost all of its energy. You know, we, we always look at church as that expendable thing. And Sunday night, right? Sunday night's the expendable service. If we make it to Sunday morning, we're still good. Sunday night, that's for the extra special people, right? Uh, Wednesday night, now that's the extra, extra special people, right? We, we need to think about one another. We say, listen, what should I do? Should I go there and, and love and, and share? Should I open up my home? Should I go out to lunch with these people? Let's do what the New Testament church did. Because, again, it's that type of stuff where those moments happen, where somebody says, I felt alone today. But, you know, being able to go out to Chris's with you guys after church, and I just I feel loved, and it's something that I've been lacking in my life, and I need. And it's a godsend. We need to be able to, to do this, to just go out to coffee with people, have them over to watch a ball game. You know, when I go out to Buffalo Wild Wings to, to watch a fight, I'm on my phone. I'm saying, hey, come out here with me. You know, non-believers, other guys in the church, you know, come spend that time with me. It's just a fight, and oftentimes guys will come up and they'll say, I'm not really into fighting. I'm not really into the UFC. And it's like, it's not about that. It's about coming out here, eating wings that you shouldn't be eating, and spending time together. And, and the last thing that I would say the challenge to the church is, uh, that we can use to combat loneliness is fulfill the Great Commission. We're all saved because somebody shared the gospel with us. 
and we heard that news about Christ coming and living the life that we couldn't live, dying the death that we should have died on the cross on our behalf, and we trusted in that, and we were reconciled to God. We were redeemed. And we have that message. It's that message that that loneliness that exists because of sin. And the only way other people are going to hear that is if we open our mouths and tell them. There's people around us dying of loneliness, literally dying of loneliness. And you've got the cure. You have that thing that you can share with them. It says, I know why you're lonely. And I know the way out. And I know the hope. And I know the peace that you can un- enjoy through Christ. Let me tell you about it. And yet so often we, we neglect to do that. We're afraid. We're scared. What will they think? What will they say? We kind of get into our own loneliness again. I'm, I'm afraid. They won't understand. What if they judge me? But we've been called to share that message. and It's the power of salvation in Christ Jesus. It's the power of freedom from loneliness for, for everybody. And so I would leave you with that. I would challenge you with that. I hope that in this time together tonight, you have seen Loneliness is a problem. It's a big problem, and it exists because of sin. And I'm sure, given the numbers of people in here, there are a handful or not more that this resonates with your heart, with your life, and and struggles you've either had or struggles you have currently. And I hope you see that there is hope and that there is a way and that there is peace that can be found, that God cares about your loneliness, that God cares about you, each one individually, that Jesus Christ came to die for you and that the church exists for you. And when we live the way that we're meant to live and we live out the scriptures, we follow God and we, we trust in him to do the things that he says he's going to do or has already done, we can experience that peace and we can be restored to that place where we were meant to be from the beginning. So as we close, just Think about that. If you've got any prayer requests, please make those known to to the members of the church and to the pastoral staff. Pray with one another. Love on one another. Think about ways in which you can can share your life with other people to help them out of their loneliness. And and most importantly, if you have never received this this promise, never received what Christ did and, 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 and accepted his death on the cross on your behalf, I call you and implore you to do that tonight, to know that your sin has been forgiven through his death, and that by faith you can come to the Father, be reconciled with the Father, be a part of, of a church and a, and a body that is, that is going towards glory with him, and you will not be alone. So as we pray, consider those things and, and, and just bring that to the Lord. Father, I thank you for this time we've had together tonight, Lord. I thank you that you give us hope that you care about our loneliness, that you never designed it to be that way in the first place, and it only exists that way because of sin. And I pray, Father, that we could find that way out, that we could trust in Jesus as Lord and his death on the cross and his blood to reconcile us with you and with one another. We could no longer feel alone. We could no longer feel that pain of, of, of not thinking that anyone understands us, thinking that, that, that this is just our burden to bear, because it's not. Jesus bore that burden for us. And when we trust in him, we put our faith in him, God, you promise that, that it'll be removed. And so we, we thank you for that. 
pray that anyone here tonight who has never trusted in you, that they might come to know you as Lord, that they might trust in Jesus' shed blood on their behalf. And God, I pray for, for this church, that as a church, they might just have a vision to, to make sure that no one feels lonely, that, that they are open and hospitable and, and friendly and welcoming and fulfilling the Great Commission and doing all the things that you've called us to do until Christ returns. God, we thank you so much for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you would turn in your hymnal to hymn number 412. Hymn number 412, as we stand and sing, The Savior is Waiting. Hymn number 412. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? Time after time he has waited before, and now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. If you'll take one step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all of your darkness will in. Within your heart he'll abide. Time after time he has waited before, and now Brother Todd for come and sharing his heart with us tonight for a portion of God's word and has spoken to a real issue that we all face and will be facing through, throughout life. We're grateful that you're here tonight. Uh, anyone have a, an announcement or anything that needs to be made before we close out? Remind you that... Uh, Visitation for Brother Marshall is tomorrow from 5 to 8 at uh, Millward's in Southland, and the funeral service will be at 2 o'clock Tuesday afternoon here in our church. There will be a meal following that. I'm sure probably some of our ladies are all, have already been contacted about that meal for that evening. Any other words before we go? Again, our Father, this day we praise you.